16, we've been working through Matthew a bit at a time. We're going to look at a pretty uh, significant section today. The theme for me is um, children. What does it look like for us to be children of God? There's more to it than this, but all of these things kind of have this, to me, there's this theme of being children of God running through each of these sections. So starting in verse 22 of chapter 17. When they came together, that's Jesus and the disciples, in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. This is the second prediction Jesus makes in Matthew of his um, suffering. And I just want to take a, a brief pause here to say for us, suffering very well could be part of God's design for your life. Part of the road that you're going to walk very well may include suffering. For Jesus, he had to be betrayed, he had to be arrested, he had to be beaten, and he had to be crucified. That was, that was, his, that was part of his mission. There was no way to accomplish what the Father wanted to accomplish through him apart from those difficulties. And it, may, and it very well may be the same for you. Jesus says repeatedly, a student is not above his teacher, a servant's not above his master. He had to suffer, and he promises that, we, that, that that's something that we can expect as well. And what I want you to hear, it's just because there's difficulty doesn't mean you've missed it. Sometimes, you know, you touch a stove that's hot, I shouldn't do that again, and so I pull my hand back. And pain kind of has that um, effect on us. It te- well, I'm not going to do that again because it hurt. Not necessarily the case when it comes to really walking out your calling. There are times where pain is the way that you're going to have to walk. Not because God enjoys our suffering at all. Just because that his highest priority is not our comfort, is to accomplish his purposes. And if we have to be uncomfortable in order for that to happen, then okay. He's okay with that. And again, his son suffered. And so we can expect the same. So two, two things for us. One, if you're currently experiencing difficulty, might not mean that you're being disobedient, might not mean that God has forsaken you, might not mean that you're on the wrong road, might not mean that God's trying to discipline you at all. It might mean you're exactly where you need to be, and this is just part of it. If you're someone who's connected to somebody who's struggling, who's going through some difficulty, our desire a lot of times is to try to pull our friends or our family out of that. It's what Peter did in chapter 16. Jesus says, I'm going to have to die, and Peter says, no, never, that's never going to happen to you. And Jesus says, you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. Same thing happens to Paul in Acts. Every, he says, Paul says, all I know is every city I go to, I, I know suffering and hardship is in front of me. They await me. And other people in the church are, are sensing the same thing. They know. For Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. And if you're supposed to preach to all the nations, you can't do that if you're arrested. You don't need to go. And at one point, Paul says, why, why are y'all breaking my heart? Basically, he says, y'all are killing me. Why are you doing this? This is the road set out for me. You're not helping me by trying to keep me from going. Your heart's good. You, you, you want to protect me, but that's obedience for me. And I've got to stay faithful to this. And so if you're connected to someone who's going through a diff, who's, who's suffering, we would just use that word, who's suffering, don't be too quick to pull them out. We don't want to create martyrs for sure. But sometimes pulling them out, is not, that's not the best thing. That might very well be the road that God has for them. And so I say repeatedly, we've got to learn to hear the Lord. We've got to know what God is doing in us, and we've got to know where he's taking us. It is very difficult to read signs. We can look at difficulty as 
the enemy being uh, as an obstacle the enemy's putting up. We can look at suffering as just part of what God's plan for us. We can look at us, God trying to read it. You can't read it that way. You've got to know in your heart, this is the road that God wants me to walk. And even if it's difficult, I'm going to stick with it. So suffering, that's part of what it means to be a child of God. You can expect at some point that's going to come. Verse 28, excuse me, verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. Whom do you, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. So edge of the town, there's a tax booth. This is, actually, this is a Jewish religious tax, not a Roman political tax. So according to Exodus 30, every Jewish male 20 years and older every year pays a half shekel temple tax or two drachmas. It's two days wages. That's what it is. And you pay this tax and it goes to the upkeep of the temple. Jesus pays it. Like the answer is, doesn't your teacher pay this? And he says, Peter says, yeah, he does pay this. But Jesus takes advantage of this to have a conversation with Peter. And he says, do kings tax their own sons? And Peter says, no. And what Jesus is implying there is, well, I'm a, I'm a son. I'm the son of the father, so why am I paying to keep his house up? But because we don't want to offend the other Jews who, according to the Old Testament, have to pay this tax, let's go ahead and do it. In a, in a, shortly, Jesus will attack the temple system. He's not ready to do that yet. And so for the sake of not upsetting the apple cart, he pays the tax. Again, that's Old Testament law for them. Uh, what does that look like for us? I would say the most obvious connection for us as children, we're, we're free. If you're a follower of Christ and you're a son of God, you're free. Get, and just, again, just looking basically at money. You don't have to give anything. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Everyone should decide in their heart what they want to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There, there aren't, you're not, you don't have to rent your seat. There aren't, you don't have to put money in the little bucket when it passes. There's no requirement from God. You're not paying off of, you're not paying off anything. Giving is free. I've told y'all a, a lot. I'm not a tithe guy. I don't believe the tithe is a New Testament concept for us. To me, the New Testament teaches generosity. God's generous. I want to become like him, so I'm going to be generous. But there's, there's, not, there's no taxes mandated. That's what you see here. As sons and daughters, we're exempt. So I'd say that's kind of the most superficial level to me, what's very interesting about this, this is the only gospel that this story appears in. What was Matthew before he was a disciple? Interesting that he's the only one that records this. Not in Mark, not in Luke, not in Peter. Mark, a lot of people will tell you it's, that, that's Peter telling the story to Mark and he's writing it down. And Peter doesn't even include this when he's kind of given his version of events. Only Matthew, who's a tax collector, picks up on this exchange. And the, and the reason I think he did was because for him, as a tax collector, this, this spoke. This is what it meant for him to become a son. It meant he didn't have to pay anymore. There's a, there's a freedom that he gets as someone who's lived, as someone who collects taxes. He knows what that is. 
And he knows the mechanisms behind that and the reasons behind that. And he knows the burden that that can be for people. And so what he's saying is you're, you're, you're sons. You're not slaves. You're not servants. You're children. And for each of you and each of us, we can have that same level of personal revelation when it comes to what, what does it mean for you to be a, children of God, a child of God. I read uh, C.S. Lewis's biography probably three weeks ago. And for him, it's this whole idea of joy. That was the thing. He was an atheist during much of his young adulthood, and what really drew him into relationship with God was this idea of joy, and he always capitalizes it when he writes it. That's the thing for him. He wanted this joy, and he found it in Jesus. For me, it's purpose. That's what my life can have significance. That's what it means for me to be a child of God. Yes, my sins are forgiven and all of those things, but the thing that really resonates in my heart, if you ask me, is that I can have purpose beyond living for 75 years and having some kids and making some money and then dying. For other people, it may, be, it may be forgiveness. You live under a heavy weight of guilt. And when you became a child of God, you were freed from that. For other people, it's deliverance. There are all these things that were entangling me. And I was set free from those when I became a child of God. For other people, it's relationship. I felt lonely, isolated, alienated. And then when I became a child of God, I was adopted into his family and I had a place to belong. You knowing that, that's your testimony. And that's powerful, not just for you to know, but also for the people that you're connected with. When you share with people who know the Lord and who don't, this is what it means for me to be a child of God. This is what changed for me when I went from, you know, before Christ to after. It wasn't just that, you know, I quit cussing or I stopped, I watched different shows on TV. Or, that, that's great. But this is, what it, this is what it really did for me. I lived under a heavy weight of condemnation, and I was... I was forgiven. I don't, I don't have guilt and shame anymore. That's a powerful thing. So I would encourage you to really think that through. If, I were to, if, you were, if you were writing your gospel, what's the story that would just be in there for you? Just like this one is in there for Matthew. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Uh, several things going on here. We're going to focus just on the main idea of humility, uh, just so we're all on the same page. Through it, in this section and the next one, you'll see this phrase, little ones. That refers to, to Christians, to people who are following Jesus. That's what, when, he, when you see little ones, that's who Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about literal children. He's talking about us, people who are following him. And so, again, this idea of being a child of God, we saw there's suffering involved. There's freedom involved here. You see humility as a key aspect of what it means to be a child of God. And we're going to look at it positively and negatively. Positive. He says, humble yourself. That's what we're supposed to do. That's a positive action. I want to humble myself before him. Now, when many of us hear that idea, humble ourselves, we immediately think getting low. How do I get low 
before the Lord. This is the dictionary.com definition of humble. Not proud or arrogant, modest, having a feeling of insignificance, inferiority, subservience. If it's used as a verb, to lower in condition, importance, or dignity, to make meek. And so when we hear humble yourself, that's what most of us think. We think like, how do I, how do I shrink? And it's hard for us to do that. What I would say is it's almost, almost impossible to make yourself, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how you make yourself humble. When you're trying to be meek, what you're thinking about is trying to, you're thinking about making yourself meek. And when you're thinking about yourself, you can never be truly humble. It doesn't work. You can't get at it straight on. It's impossible to try to be humble by trying to be humble because you're thinking about being humble, which means you're thinking about yourself. It it doesn't work at all. It's a subjective, this is a subjective feeling, and I think it's very difficult for us to try to grab. Meekness, is a, that, that's a kingdom value, and I would say grab onto that. Grab onto meek. Don't try to, my opinion, don't try to grab onto humility in this way. It would be very difficult for you to walk out. And when you think about kids, that's not what they're doing anyway. Go over to that preschool room. None of them are trying to see how low they can get. I have a three-year-old. Dad, we're driving in the car. Dad, what? I'm the greatest kid in the world. Okay. <laughs> Modest? No. I mean, go over there. None of them are doing that. They're all saying, they're standing on the table saying, look at me. It's different. But humility for a child, there's an objective state there. Not a subjective feeling, an objective state, dependence. Children are totally dependent upon others for their well-being. And I think that's what Jesus is going for when he sticks this kid in front of the disciples and says, you've got to be like him. He's not saying you need to make yourself lower. I think what he's saying is you need to recognize your dependence upon your father. That's what kids do. They all recognize that they need somebody else to take care of them. And that's what it looks like for us. So when Jesus says, humble yourself, I want you thinking, I need make myself dependent. I need to recognize my dependence upon the Lord. That's what it looks like for me to humble myself. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who recognize that they need it. He gives grace to those who say, you know, I I recognize I can't do this on my own. That's when the channels of grace open up to us. That's what I want you thinking about when you read this. How do I become like a child? So how do I cultivate this feeling of dependence actually is not a feeling, it's a reality. It's a state of being. How do I cultivate the reality that I'm dependent upon the Lord? I've said before, I think in the culture that we live in, the biggest obstacle to the gospel is the fact that people don't think they need it. We've got everything. I've got a great job, and so I can take care of all my needs plus most of my wants, and I've got a great family, and so I feel loved, and I've got a great job, and I've, I've got all of these things. Everything, why, I, and I'm a good guy, I've never killed anybody, I've never robbed the bank. What, I don't see any need for a Savior. I, again, I think that's the biggest obstacle for many in, our, in Marietta, where we live here in the Bible Belt. It's a lack of recognition. I, they don't see their need for a Savior. And the same thing can happen to us in the church very easily. We can lose sight of our dependence upon the Lord. And I think the easiest thing, the easiest way to maintain that is to pray. Praying is not informing God of everything. He already knows. Pray, praying is inviting God to get involved. And so if I think about the areas of my life where I don't pray, 
It's either because I don't care or I don't think God cares about that or because I think I've got it and I don't really need him. I'm not dependent upon him in that area. I'm not trying to get you to, to the point where you're paralyzed and you can't figure out what pair of shoes to wear without asking God, but I'm, they're chunks of life. And some of, like some of us, we never pray about our jobs, either because we think God doesn't care or we don't need him. We got that. Some of us never pray about our family, how we're raising our kids or how we're connecting with our spouse. We got that. Or we never pray about our finances. They're huge chunks. We don't pray about how we spend our free time. Most of us, hardly any of us, pray about that. How do you want us? We've got the summer. What do you want us doing this summer? Anything? What? He may say, do whatever you want. Go to the pool. He may say, go serve lunches. At, I don't know. Serve lunches at must. I don't know. But most of us, because we think either God doesn't care, we've got, I don't need God to tell me how to spend time. I can do that. I've been doing that for 38 years. So those, are there chunks of your life, big chunks, where you're not including him, where you're not inviting him to get involved? And most likely, those are areas where you're not being dependent upon him at all. You're not inviting his input or his help. So prayer, easiest thing. And I would say my encouragement would be to start now. Don't wait till there's a crisis. No, you can for sure. He, he responds to crisis prayers as well, but it's just better if you go ahead and start now until something really does overwhelm you and the dam breaks and you can't handle it and you recognize you can't handle it. I would say go ahead and start now cultivating this idea I'm dependent upon God in all of these major areas of my life, not just in the spiritual area, not just in the moral area, but in every area of my life. I recognize I'm dependent upon the Lord. So that's the positive. Humble myself. Recognize I'm dependent upon him. The negative, he talks about cutting off your hand and your feet and plucking out your eye, getting rid of the things that cause us to sin. And this is how I want you to think of that idea causing us to sin. What makes it, let me think the best way to say this, what, uh, what pushes you away from dependence upon the Lord? What behaviors are you practicing that make it difficult for you to maintain this childlike posture? What behaviors are you currently engaging in that make it difficult for you to be or to live dependent? So for me, give you an example, too, from, for me personally. And uh, this has been for, since we've started, probably six months after we started this church, I realized uh, two things about myself. One is I don't need to count people, and two is I don't need to count money because both of those things push me away from being dependent upon the Lord. So I don't have any idea how many people come to church here. I don't know how many people are in here now. Kim counts and she keeps up with it. I don't, I've, I've never, I never look at it. I don't have any idea. Not because I'm super spiritual, but because I'm super weak. And the last thing I need to know, I don't need to see numbers go up and down. Because what I'll do is I'll say, oh, they're going down, so let me figure out how to make them go back up. I'll do that. Very difficult for me to say, God builds the house. I'm going to let God build the house versus me if I'm tracking attendance. And so I don't. That's a behavior that I had to cut off. No counting people for me. I don't know how much money anybody gives. I don't look at it. There are plenty of pastors who do, and that's great. Again, that's not because I'm spiritual. It's because I'm weak. I don't want to know. If Caroline Bedingfield is given $25,000 a year, I don't want to know that because then if, if she quits coming, I'm going to say, well, how do I get Caroline back? And if Caroline comes up and says, you know, I really think we, you should wear a robe and we need a choir. Then I'm going to say, well, she gives a lot of money, so let's figure out how to make that work. That, it'll be very difficult for me to say, to trust that the Lord takes care of us 
versus Caroline if I know how much. Again, that's not because I'm spiritual. It's because I'm not. So I don't know how much anybody gives, and I don't want to know. That's not going to help. That's a behavior that I had to cut off very early on. I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago. Every day when he got home from work, he pulled out a spreadsheet and looked at their finances. Every day. And he didn't just look. He studied that thing. He had to cut, and he came up for prayer, and he said, I got to quit. And I said, you absolutely have to quit. You can't keep doing that. That behavior has to change. That's not moving you in the direction of dependence upon the Lord. It's moving you in the, in the direction of depending upon your financial skill. Some of you, I've talked to moms who check on their kids literally 20 plus times a night. That behavior has to change. You're, you don't need, you're, they're fine. You don't need to check on them three and four times an hour. That's, you're not, at that point to me, you're not trusting the Lord to take care of your kids. You're trusting your vigilance to do that. If you hear something, you hear something. Most of the time, you're not hearing anything. You're just scared, and you're go. That's no good. That's not freedom for you, and it doesn't get better when they get older. It doesn't. You'll be the one who goes to the school 20 times a day to make sure they're okay. I'm driving by the playground, and that, it doesn't, that's a heart thing. I don't know what your particular behavior is that you may have to change, but you, I would imagine that everybody has at least one. There's one thing that you do on a regular basis that if I did it, it'd be fine. Like, Brandon can count. It doesn't affect him at all to know how many people are here or who gives what. He doesn't, but it wouldn't affect him at all. But it does me. It's not that that's sinful in and of itself. It's sinful for me because it moves me in the direction of, of uh, depending upon something else. Or it moves me away from being dependent upon the Lord. So what is that for you? Are there behaviors? And the answer is yes. Just what are they? What are the behaviors that you might need to cut off? Jesus says deal with them severely. You don't, you don't mess around with this stuff. If the key to entering into the kingdom of God is becoming like a child, recognizing my dependence, then you don't play around with anything that moves you away from that. That's serious business, and you deal with it seriously. Verse 10, see that you don't look down on one of these little ones. Again, we're talking about fellow believers. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven Always see the face of my Father in heaven. So you want to know where the guardian angel idea comes from? That's it. I tell you that they're angels. So if you're a believer, it seems to say there, you got an angel. I don't know his name and I don't know what he does, but you've got one. Who always sees the face of my Father in heaven. Maybe that will help you mama sleep at night. Your kid has an angel. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go, to look, and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will be happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. This parable is told in Luke. I'm going to bracket that over here. In Matthew, he's talking specifically about believers. He's talking about believers who wander off. That's what he says. I don't want to see any of these little ones any of these other followers of Christ, be lost. And so what you see here, if you're a child of God, is his pursuit of you. It's not just once you're in, he forgets about you. He continues to pursue. If you wander off, drift away, even if there's intention behind that, he continues to come after you. You need to recognize that that's his, his desire is always relationship. And he's always looking to draw us closer 
to himself. Even after we've made a decision to follow him, that's not enough for him. He's constantly pursuing for more of our hearts and for more of our attention and for more of our time, more of our focus. And if we wander away for whatever reason, he comes after us. Now, in Luke, this exact same parable is told with reference to people who are not yet Christians. He talks about sinners and says there's great joy when even one of them repents. And so if you would say this morning, I'm more of a Luke sheep, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then you need to know the same thing. He's coming after you. If you've wandered, if you're wandering away, his desire is to rescue you. If you're a Matthew sheep, You've made a decision to follow Jesus. You're a Christian, but you've wandered off for whatever reason. Your schedule's gotten busy and you feel disconnected or you, you got upset about something and you've kind of, you're throwing a bit of a temper tantrum towards the Lord or whatever's going on. You've wandered away. Know that He is coming after you and look at His emotion when He finds you. Look how disappointed He is when He finds you. He finds you and He is so frustrated with the sheep that walked away. He's so disappointed in the sheep that walked away. He's so angry, he puts the sheep in time out and says, you have to sit there until you work. What does it say? Happier. He's happier with you, who he finds, who's wandered away, than with the rest of us who've been good kids. How does that work? You think about that. The God who's created everything that ever is, will be, has been. You can make him happy odd to me that we can do that that he has that much invested in us that we can affect his level of joy and he says that there he's joyous ecstatic when one of us who's wandering away not christians repent and come home christians say hey i've drifted away i'm i want to come back and that's what it says here so as we move into ministry i want you to recognize that this morning if you would say this morning, you've wandered away, Christian or not, know that he is pursuing you. His desire is for a relationship with you. And if you'll just throw up your hand and say, help me over here, he will come quickly and he will save you. And it will, make, it will thrill him to do so. He doesn't come reluctantly. He doesn't come slowly. He doesn't drag his feet. He's not coming with the scowl on his face. And you're not going to get punished. He's looking to bring you back in. So, again, throw up your hand and let him rescue you. Bo, you can come back up. We're going to close with ministry time this morning. We'll have ministry teams up here in the corners. We'll be happy to pray with you about anything. Specifically, let me give you a couple. Uh, if you're suffering this morning, we would love to pray with you. If you're, if you're not sure, if you're suffering in the will of God or outside of the will of God, we, we're just going to pray. And uh, we'll pray for God to give you endurance and to change your circumstances. And one of those two is the right prayer. So we'll pray them both. And we'll, fi- and we'll just ask for God to do that in your life and to do so quickly. If you're uh, struggling a bit financially and you need a fish with some money in its mouth, we'll, we want to pray for God to do it. It's interesting to me. Peter was a fisherman. And so God, Jesus sends him fishing and says, you're going to get a fish And it's going to have enough money to pay for you and to pay for me. So for some of you, you're working. You just need a little more than the paycheck. And so we want to pray, whatever that looks like. If it's another contract, if it's a bonus, if it's just just something with this job that you're in. I'm thinking, well, absolutely, if you need work, we'll pray for you. But I'm thinking specifically this morning, if you're you're working, you're in a job, and you, you just need a little more. 
again, you need, you need a fish with some money. You're a fisherman, and you need to catch a fish that has some money in his mouth. Then we want to pray for you about that as well. So you guys can stand. Uh, I'll pray. Ministry teams will come forward, and you guys can respond as you feel led. Bo will dismiss us when the song's over. God, we thank you for the privilege of being your children. God, we thank you for uh, all that that entails, that you allow us as your children. There's, there's suffering involved, and it's not for its own sake. It's to accomplish your purposes in us and in our world, and we thank you even for not shielding us from that, but considering us worthy to suffer uh, for you. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have as your children, and I pray that we would each know that more and more. We would all, each man and woman in this room be able to say, this is what it means to me to be a child of God. Lord, we thank you that what you're looking for for us, from us, is dependence. You don't ask us to perform. You don't ask us to become anything. You don't ask us to do anything. You just say, just recognize your need. Can anything be easier? Just recognize your need. And God, I pray that we would all live aware of our need for you in every area of life, not to the point of paralysis, but to a recognition that says, I I need to connect with, I need the grace of God in every area of my life on a daily basis. And God, I pray for any here this morning who would say, I've wandered off. Lord, I pray they'd throw up their hand and say, help me over here. And they would know the reality of a shepherd coming quickly to their rescue. In Jesus' name, amen.